He is risen. Amen. This is the wonderful truth that we have been proclaiming for the past several weeks. Today is the seventh and final Sunday of this great celebration of Easter. It's not only a day, but a season. And we continue in that celebration and that wonder that Jesus lived on this earth, died on the cross, and rose again. This is the center of our faith. But our proclamation that he is risen means even more than that. Because Jesus did not only rise from the dead, but about 40 days later, we have this story where he also ascended up to the right hand of God, the Father, to rule and reign in glory. Right? He has not only risen from the grave, but he has also risen to the throne. And this is the story of the ascension. This is what we're going to read and reflect on this morning. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning. In Acts chapter 1, we read about the ascension of Christ. And if we're honest, it's kind of a strange story. It's a very odd scene that might fit better in E.T. or Star Trek than a book of the Bible, right? Because Jesus is speaking with his disciples on top of a mountain, and then suddenly he is floating up into the air, and poof, he's gone, right? It's kind of this E.T. phone home, beam me up Scotty sort of moment that's going on here. What's happening? It is strange. And because of that, it's a story that we have not often told We haven't often celebrated. You know, you can go to the store and you can find Christmas cards about Jesus' birth, or you can go and find Easter cards about Jesus' resurrection, but you really can't go find Ascension cards. They just don't really sell those in the store, right? The Ascension, as I was reading about it this week, has often been called the forgotten act of Christ because it's this story that we don't often recall, retell, reflect on, come back to, but it is a truly important moment. Without the ascension, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection would lose their purpose. And without the ascension, our very existence as the church, worshiping and waiting for Christ, doesn't make any sense. So the ascension is actually crucial for us to really understand Jesus' story and to understand our part in that story. And so with that, let's read here, Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Hear the word of the Lord. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, 
but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? And he replied, It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while he was going, And they were gazing up towards heaven. Suddenly, two men in white robes stood by them, and they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And thank you for this story of your ruling and reigning. I pray that as we reflect on it together this morning, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So so I said that the ministry of Jesus and the existence of the church lose their purpose without this story of the ascension. So that's what I want to talk about this morning. What does the ascension tell us about Jesus? And what does it tell us about ourselves as the church? So let's begin with that first one. What does it tell us about Jesus? Well, first the ascension gives purpose to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Right? It shows us the purpose of all of this. Jesus came, he lived, he died, and he rose in order to establish the kingdom of God and in order to redeem humanity. And this is what we've just read. In verse 3, it says that after his resurrection, he appeared to them during 40 days and he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. And then in verse 5, he says that they will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And again in verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So the purpose for all of this, for everything that Jesus has done, was to establish the kingdom of God that he's been talking about and teaching about all along the way, and to redeem humanity by filling them with the Holy Spirit. And he's hinted about this all along the way. For example, in John 16, this is before his death and resurrection, Jesus is preparing his disciples for this very moment. And he says to them, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the advocate, the spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So in John 16, he says to them that this whole thing is moving toward a time whenever he will depart and send his spirit to be with his people. 
And I think this is also what he means a few chapters later in John chapter 20, when he's talking with Mary in the garden after his resurrection. She realizes that he's alive, and he says to her, do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Again, he is saying that this is what everything has been moving towards all along. He tells Mary not to hold on to him because it is actually better for him to go away. It is better for him to depart. The purpose of his coming was always so that he could eventually send the Holy Spirit and ascend to the Father. And that leads us to another thing that the ascension shows us about Jesus. Because it doesn't only show us the purpose of all that he did before, but it also shows us what he's actually doing right now. The ascension shows us that right now, at this very moment, Jesus is ruling and reigning at the right hand of his Father. And I think this, more than anything, has some huge implications for us, because too often, Jesus becomes just an idea for us. Jesus is an idea that we read about, we sing about, we think about, and maybe we try to live like. But the ascension says that Jesus is not just an idea in a book, but that the reason why he is not here bodily is because he is ruling and reigning with his Father in heaven. He is not just an idea, but a person who is alive right now. And he is with his Father. And there are a number of times while I was in grad school, and we would get into these lofty, abstract theological discussions. Have you ever been in one of those? Right? And, and we'd be talking and on and on, and it would be you know, amusing and interesting, but somewhere along the way, I would just get this nagging feeling. Would this conversation be going any differently if we really believed that God was here with us right now, that Jesus is actually alive and ruling right now? Would it be any different? these wild conversations that we get ourselves into. And honestly, that's not a bad way to live. Would we live any differently if Jesus was not just a religious idea to us, but really someone who is alive and active right now? And I don't mean that he ascended up to heaven and he's alive and active looking down on us, judging us, just waiting for us to get our act together. He's not just reigning and ruling, but he is actively rooting for us. In Romans 8 and in Hebrews 7, scriptures say that Jesus is not only sitting next to God, but that he is actively interceding for us, his people. Now, what does that mean? for Jesus to be interceding for us. Well, I have heard that if you want to get a person talking, ask them about someone they love. 
right? So if you want to talk to someone, if, you, if you're talking to a parent, ask them about their kids, and they'll start talking, right? If you're talking to a teacher, ask them about their students, and they'll, they'll have some stories to share, right? Ask a person about their spouse, about their friends, about their family, maybe about their coworkers. People will begin to tell stories and talk about the ones that they care about. We love talking about the people that we love. Uh, an example of this, Caitlin recently sent me uh, a website that had an interview that featured her dad. It was this series called Coffee with the Corporates, right? And in this interview, they asked him about the industry that he was working in and uh, important training programs, career advice, and stuff like that. And it was really fun to read through it and kind of get to know the work side of him. Um, but what struck me about this interview was this, right? He could have talked a lot about work and industry and strategy and all of that corporate stuff, and he did. But throughout the interview, there are several places where he talked about his family, about the importance of his family. He talked about how his wife, Caitlin's mom, as an inspiration to him. He talked about how his family was something that he couldn't live without. And it was awesome to see that even in the midst of this work interview setting, right? He loved talking about his family. And I think the reason people love talking about the people they love is because they love it. Right? So, so getting back to Jesus, right? And, and all of this, Jesus and what he's doing right now, he is seated next to God the Father and he's talking about us. He is interceding for us. He is talking with his dad about his people, about us. He's telling stories about us. He's concerned for us. He's excited about us. And he's doing all of this right now. This is what Jesus is doing right now. And he does this because he loves us. And that changes things, I think, about the way that we walk into this next week. Because Jesus is ruling, and he's reigning, and he's talking about us. To God the Father, he is alive and ascended. So the ascension gives purpose to all that Jesus did before. It shows us what he's doing right now. But it also points ahead to the future. Did you notice that in the text? Look back at verse 11, where the two sort of angelic figures appear, and they say to the disciples, This Jesus who's been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The ascension reminds us that though he went up to heaven, there is coming a day when heaven is coming down to earth. He will return and make all things new. So the ascension gives purpose to the past ministry of Jesus it gives power to the present reign of Jesus, and it gives hope for the future return of Jesus. See, this story is not just kind of a weird oddity. 
It shows us Jesus in his fullness, and it gives shape to our faith. But the ascension doesn't only tell us about Jesus, right? It also tells us about ourselves as the church. Because without the ascension, our existence as the church, a people who gather as worshipers and go out as witnesses, just doesn't make any sense. So how does the ascension inform our understanding of ourselves as the church? Well, one thing, I think the ascension shows us that our worship and our prayers actually matter. Let me tell you what I mean by that. When Jesus was lifted up and ascended, he didn't merely move spatially from the earth into the heavens, but rather spiritually from earth into capital H, heaven, so to speak. Right? Jesus is not like E.T. or Star Trek floating around in space, in the atmosphere somewhere. He's not like a satellite. Right? Rather, what we see here is Jesus traversing the realm of humanity into the realm of God. And what that means is that the barrier between heaven and earth is actually permeable. It's not solid. This barrier between heaven and earth can be moved through. And so our worship and our prayers are not just in an empty echo chamber. They actually reach the ears of God. Our worship and our prayers actually move from earth to heaven. What we read in Psalm 18 last week is really true. I called upon the Lord, and my cry to him reached his ears. When we worship, God hears us. When we pray, God listens. And remember, we don't only pray on our own. Jesus is praying too. And he's interceding along with us. So because of the ascension, our existence as the church makes sense. As a people who gather to worship and pray. But we don't only gather as worshipers. We are also sent out from here every week as witnesses. Isn't that what Jesus says in verse 8? He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So because of the ascension, we are sent out to share this story of Jesus with others. We become like Mary, who I mentioned earlier, who Jesus told, go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And she went and announced to them, I have seen the Lord. We become witnesses sent out to share. And we are witnesses not only to each other here, but everywhere. Right? He says, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. This is everywhere, right? Jerusalem is where they are. 
Judea is kind of that greater area of where they live. Samaria is where they really don't want to go. And the ends of the earth is where they would never have imagined themselves going. Right? So what are these places in your life? What is your Jerusalem and Judea? Right? The normal places of your life. This could be your home, your job, your school. What does it look like? to be a witness to your family, to your friends, to your coworkers. What does that look like? Right? And then what is your Samaria? Right? This is the place that you don't really want to go. Right? The there is a lot of cultural and political division between Judea and Samaria, uh, which is why it was so scandalous whenever Jesus not only chose to pass through Samaria at all during his ministry, but actually stopped there to speak with a woman at the well. Right? That's why everyone was so shocked when Jesus told the story about the good Samaritan as if such a thing existed. Right? That seemed like a contradiction to most of them. Samaria is where the people didn't want to go. So what is your Samaria? What are the places where God is calling you to? But maybe you feel some resistance. Maybe you don't really want to go there. What would it look like not only to go to those places, but to actually be a witness in those places? And then there's the ends of the earth. right? These are the places that we would never even imagine ourselves going. These are the places where God's imagination is so much bigger than ours. God's dreams are so much farther beyond ours. And he calls us into things that we would never dream of. We would never begin to imagine. What does it look like to open ourselves up to go where God is leading and calling? Whether it's a place that we know well, a place we don't want to go, or a place we would never even think to go. You will be my witnesses, is what Jesus says here. This is the call of Christ on our lives. And this call to action is exciting, right? What's going on in your mind as I'm asking all of these questions? You know, maybe it's churning with all the possibilities, all the dreams, And we can brainstorm about crossing the street, about partnering with Wildwood or reach out, about being witnesses and serving in our daily lives. This is exciting stuff. But before any of that, before we go anywhere near there, there's one more thing in this story that we need to pay close attention to. Look back at verse 4. It says, while staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. You see, before we head out to the ends of the earth, we are called to wait. Because if the ascension shows us anything, it is that Christ reigns, not us. It's that this is God's kingdom, not ours. 
And so we are in desperate need of the Holy Spirit for anything that we're going to do. And so we're called to wait. And that's chapter 2. And we'll get there next week. But for now, God says wait. And so my hope for us is that like the disciples in this story, we might gaze up towards the heavens for a little while, marveling at the ascended Christ and proclaiming all the more that he is risen. Amen.